Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is Jared the Apocalypse Nerd Wallace. I can't talk today as usual. For uh, Podcast at Ground Zero, uh, Episode 16, Religion in the Apocalypse. We have a large crew with us today to talk about religion, because as we know, religion is one of the two topics that you're not supposed to talk about. So I wanted to get a lot of people here so we can talk about it, so we could all offend each other, and we could offend you, the audience, with religion. <laughs> Oh, wait, what's going on? Hold on. Uh, all right. Are we having a technical difficulty? No, we're good, we're good. I had a, another window open with the YouTube thing, so I heard myself talking in my ear. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? I don't want to hear my voice. So, anyway. <laughs> no one else does either. Okay, so, yeah, of course. So, we have a full crew today. Um, a couple of repeat guests, plus our surprise guest. Wasn't sure if uh, we were going to have their, her join today. So, we have Adam Scott Glancy with us, our usual uh, co-host here. Uh, we also have, uh, starting from the very left, with uh, a man from Texas. Uh, the most, the, 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 I'm from the very left, exactly so. <laughs> compared to my, my fellow Texans, exactly so. <laughs> so, uh, my, Michael uh, Verhola um, will be joining us again today, and William T. Thrasher, again, all uh, folks we've seen before. And we have, as Mike pointed out, <gasps> we have a female on the show today. <gasps> <laughs> it's unheard of. It's it's weird. So guys, you know, let's let's keep it clean, right? Because you know, there's a lady in the room. <laughs> At least there's hope for the human race in the post-apocalypse now. Wow, we we're we're saving this for the sex show, the whole repopulate the earth gag, aren't we? Yes, 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 right. yes. So uh, if you could, uh, if okay, so uh, if we could have uh, you introduce yourself to the audience. Um, my name's Rhiannon Liv, and um, I'm a theologian, uh, world religion scholar, and uh, published uh, game author, and I've, I've written some deities and cults and things for role-playing games. So. so she actually, you know, has had real-world experience with religion, so we're like, hey, that would be perfect, because we're talking about religion. As we, and as we all know, Mike Scott and Will are in the gaming industry as well, and have written role-playing games and stories and dealt with cults and religion. So... You know, everybody here has uh, done something with that, except for me. I'm the slob in the room who hasn't done anything yeah. with that. So, well, you know, I'm you really disappointed. We were hoping that you, Jared, would at least be able to fill us in on what the, uh, you know, what the tribe's going to get up to post-apocalypse, being that uh, you are one of those Dead Sea pedestrians, or at least, you know, close enough that the Nuremberg Laws would have prevented you from getting a job. You know, yes, yeah. and 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 it would have been killed in the forties. So, but uh, in Germany, yeah. but um, but you wouldn't go down easy. You're not gonna stand in line for that shit. You're gonna throw no. some punches. Yep, and I'm gonna cry the whole way there. But <laughs> so we got a lot of folks on. So um, uh, in the news. Not a whole uh, real lot I'm going to uh, talk about myself this time because I, I want to try to get us moving on to the whole topic of religion. Um, two things I did want to talk about. One is I wanted to thank, if he's listening, Bill from Post... Uh, po uh, post what is... Uh, he's going to frick... No, he's going to frickin' stab me in the face... <laughs> for 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 not um, getting his podcast right, getting his getting his website correct. Holy crap! Uh, 
postnuke.net. So, Bill, I talked about last, uh, the other week, with uh, the Road Warrior, the Am Amico commercial, which I could not find. And uh, apparently he found it, his Google, his Google foo is strong. He found it like that on YouTube. So it's actually posted on our YouTube channel under our favorite section. Because there's like, there's uh, the podcast playlist and the favorite section, which as I find like the little post-apocalyptic things, I just mark them as favorites. So it's on there. And second thing I want to bring up, this is more of a call out to anybody in the audience. Uh, I don't know if I've talked about it before because I've had some friends researching it. In the, in the, in the 80s, uh, there was, uh, you know, The Day After in America, and then there was Threads, the English better version of it. Now, when it originally aired on TBS in the, 19, in the 1980s, I think it was 84, there was a follow-up show that was uh, an English show that was one of, their, uh, one of their natural environment shows or something like that. It was called On the Eighth Day. It was this hour-long dialogue where they had scientists on, and they talked about, excuse me, they talked about, what would happen to the Earth on the eighth day after a full-scale nuclear war? There's all these computer models and things. So it was a very interesting show. I have not been able to find a copy digital anywhere. Uh, a friend of mine uh, in uh, Scotland remembers it, and he's put some feelers out, and he knew he found some more information about it. But I have not been able to find anything on this. So if anybody out there knows about this show. It's called On the Eighth Day. It was an English show. It was part of their like natural science series, hour-long. It was about, uh, about the nuclear winter. So if anybody out there can find this, knows anywhere to find it, please let us know. Uh, whether it's you know send an email, post on the Facebook page, post on the YouTube channel, where, wherever you can find it. If you find it, let us know. So That's going to be a tough one on the grounds that the Brits are infamous for taping over their shit. Exactly. You know, well, well, this is in the 80s, so they, I think they learned their lesson a little bit, especially in the 70s when uh, they wanted to bring back Monty Python on the show, and they had sold all of it to um, Terry Gilliam. Thank you, Terry Gilliam. He's like, you know what? I want to buy all these. So he bought them and put them in his, stored them. And then when they got popular, they're like, oh, hey, can we buy that off of you? So thank you to Terry Gilliam we have the Monty Python TV show. If it wasn't wow. for him, they would have been gone, taped over. I hadn't so. heard that story. I knew that that's what they did to all the Doctor Who, that, they, that we lost yeah. lots and lots of Doctor Who that way, but I hadn't heard that about Python. Yeah. We oh, yeah. That were close. Those, were those that. Doctor Whos that had the production values that were so terrible that most normal Americans can't watch them? Are, are those the Doctor Whos? Yes, yes. Those well, thankfully, ones. we're not normal Americans. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, so that's all I, I really have. Just you know, the call out there, and also I did see that uh, when I talked about the um, the Wizards Necron ninety nine statue that's getting made, um, that's apparently it is going to be some pre order up on that supposedly in the beginning of the new year. I, I'd read, so uh, can't wait for that. So that's all I have. I know um, Will had just recently uh, got a new. Uh, uh, product out uh, up on drive through RPG, so I'll let him plug that for a little in the news, and then we're going to jump into the conversation. Recently, as in 24 minutes ago, Will's latest product yeah. was released 24 minutes ago on drive through RPG. 
Yeah, it was. Uh, it was just it, it, the forces just aligned properly. Uh, I just uh, we just released uh, the Jester Dragons random cult generator, which is a follow up to our random tavern generator. Um, it's just a it's a it's an uh, eight page book full of all these different tables for designing cults. Uh, you can design your cult's name. You can design what the cult worships, what they wear, where they do their ceremonies, their most sacred relics, what their symbols look like, um, and my favorite. We've included a bonus table, a random a random mythos deity name generator. You can yeah. roll on it as it's it's just full of symbols like Lovecraftian syllables, and you can roll on it as many times as you like. Add in whatever hyphens, m dashes, or commas you want, uh, and, and it just produces a perfect mythos name every time. Including Ulatek, Ulatek can be generated with it. Ula tech, Ula tech, and uh, and although I will will warn you about the stupid stu stupid bitch, get away from me! But uh, <laughs> bitch, get away from me! There's a there's a uh, the one thing to keep in mind though. Whenever you use the random name generator, there's always a three percent chance that it always just turns out to be Nyarl and Hotep anyway. Yeah, well, that, there you go. Perfect. So, it's not a post. It's not necessarily post-apocalyptic, quote unquote, but it is religion-based. So we figured we'd uh, we get, get based. It's mythos-based. Mythos-based, and we, we 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 are we have no involvement with the mythos with the Call of Cthulhu and Lovecraft and all that crap. None of us know anything about that. So uh, zero, 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 <laughs> absolutely nothing. Speaking, but um, speaking, of, speaking of mythos, uh, apocalypse crossovers, I will say that one of the things I picked up for Christmas for my lovely wife Jane, was a book called Paperback Apocalypse, which is Robert Price, who is a old-time Cthulhu scholar from way back and editor of many volumes of uh, Cthulhu short stories. He has a podcast called The Bible Geek, where he tears into, uh, you know, uh, biblical studies on, on with, a, with a, a level of erudition and scholarship that, that shoots, most of it shoots right over my head. I simply cannot keep up with his understanding of the various translations, the various versions of various books of the Bible. But he has done a book on the history of, in both fiction and in liturgical fiction, the history of the idea of the Antichrist, the Second Coming, the Tribulation, uh, which isn't necessarily post-apocalyptic, because it's all pre-apocalyptic. You know, the apocalypse happens, and then poof, it's the kingdom of Christ, and everything's better. You know, um, there's no rebuilding. It's just poof, everything's everything's fine again. But um, uh, it's a really fascinating book, and uh, it's worth a look for anyone who's interested in sort of religion-based apocalypse. Stories. Well, just 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 as a, a counterpoint, though, Scott, uh, the Book of Revelation does talk about uh, the tribulations and the millennium, and there's this idea that there is essentially an apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic period before the second coming. So that's in there. Uh, well, isn't that, isn't that uh, the tribulation? To, uh, read it accordingly. Isn't, isn't the tribulation the post-apocalyptic part? Yeah, exactly so. But that's before the, the actual second coming of, of, of Christ. Uh, so this is this period that can easily be interpreted in terms of a post-apocalyptic uh, wasteland where people are dealing with all of these tribulations brought about by whatever. Uh, so so we so so we could be in a post-apocalyptic uh, world right now and not know it. I, that, I think, that's that's the the thing. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, well, I think we would have noticed. We might, might have noticed. Uh, no, no. The rapturing. I mean, it wasn't going to happen to me, but... Well, you know, keep in mind, the rapture is not biblical. The rapture was developed in the mid-19th century based on the dreams of a uh, young Scottish girl. Uh, so that is not actually biblical well, doctrine. That falls the in the category never, of the Scots have made never up crap. The, the Scots have never steered us wrong, so I don't see how this could be a problem. I mean, after all, they were they were firstes with the Moses when it came to witch burning in the Middle okay. Ages. So clearly, they had their you know, this was a this was a people who had their shit together. Plus, you know, the men wear dresses. So again, oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, but Scott, aren't you Scottish? It's hard to tell. There's a number of mix-ups at Ellis Island. Maybe they're Scots. Oh. Maybe they're Irish. You know, oh, okay. We'll, we'll lift up your kilt and we will find out. We'll yeah. find out. <laughs> it is all there. And the uh -huh. men don't wear dresses; they wear fetching skirts. There is a difference. That's that's true. So well, we've already singled out some people to send us hate mail. Let's move on. To, yeah. entire nations now. Yeah. So as so as we can see, folks, from my talking, we have some people actually have some chops when it comes to, to religion. So <clears throat> what we're going to talk about tonight, um, like we're already talking about, is again, we want to talk about religion and the apocalypse. Now, I want to take two different uh, aspects of it. One is I want to talk about game, uh, gaming and literature, just like, you know, novels, books, and, and role-playing games, you know, whether it's, you know, role-playing, electronics, paper, that angle of religion and then the apocalypse, and then as well as uh, religion and the apocalypse in real life and what it potentially could be again. This is all going to be, you know, theoretical. Uh, what we may, what may or may not happen. What we think. So, but what I want to start is, I want to start off with the the gaming and literature sense. Now, uh, one thing I brought up to the group here originally was in gaming, um, fantasy gaming, even like games like Call of Cthulhu, modern games. Religion is abound. Religion, cults, deities, things like that. It's everywhere, but. In post-apocalyptic role-playing games, things like Twilight 2000, The Aftermath, Gamma World, you don't really find religion a whole lot in post-apocalyptic games. Uh -huh. So that's something I noticed, and Mike had said, you know, that's that's he did that's a good point. And um, let's let's maybe talk about that first a little bit. You know, what, what are what are your thoughts on that? Maybe let's uh, you know whoever wants to jump you, in there. You, you get to be the director of this train, Jared. So just you point at people and and. Pull out their commentary. You're the director so of this train wreck, Jared. Yeah. As opposed to the conductor of a film. No, this this is not a train wreck. This is this is like a plane crash from like thirty thousand feet. Okay, there's no, no train. But uh, so let's start with uh, Mike. Uh, let's uh, you know what's what is your what's what do you what's your take on that? You know what, what do you what do you think about that? Uh, my take is that uh, in the last uh, century we've had a tradition of. Uh, intellectual Christian authors who were drawn to fantasy. Uh, so to a large extent, fantasy was adopted as a uh, uh, the, the purview of, of, of Christian authors or people of faith. There's many exceptions to that. I know that. Uh, I'm not trying to open a debate on that. But I'm saying when you look at Tolkien, who's debatably the biggest name in fantasy, you look at C.S. Lewis, who's uh, almost certainly the biggest name in fantasy when it comes to to children's literature, these are all uh, highly intellectual, uh, staunchly Catholic, uh, strongly Christian authors. 
And I think a lot of the attraction to the fantasy genre uh, for Christians has been driven by them. On the other hand, you get a lot of people who are science-oriented and atheistic at the same time, uh, and that is going to push them toward science fiction. So I think the reason you're getting less religion in your post-apocalyptic literature and your science fiction is because you're getting fewer people of faith. And once again, you know, people can debate that statement. They can find exceptions to that. I'm not, I'm not saying otherwise, but I'm saying generally you're getting more people of faith drawn toward fantasy, and you're getting more people of pure science or atheism or anti-faith drawn to science fiction. Uh, and that is probably why we're getting less proportion of religion in our science fiction and post-apocalyptic uh, post fiction and gaming uh, than we are in the fantasy stuff. That would be my take. Very good. Very valid. Very valid. Didn't think about that. Uh, let's move. Let's just move down the line. Uh, Rihanna. Um, I completely agree with that assessment. Um, that there tends to be a lot more uh, faith in fantasy and and atheism in science fiction. And and I think I think there's a lot of um, especially in science fiction fans. Um, you know, speaking as someone who who loves world religions and 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 finds them all fascinating and wonderful. Um, I'll say that among science fiction fans, I think there's a lot of yearning for a post-religion world. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, writing about a future that is post-religious. Um, yep. Oh, I think that's a very good point. Even if that, that, that post-religious world is in, a, uh, uh, in a, a setting where we have, we have swept modern civilization aside and started over. Well, I think uh, another reason why you don't often get too much of religious content in post-apocalyptic settings is that it's it would both it would it would both be a lot of work for whoever's designing this setting, but also it hits very close to home because when usually when we're talking about a post-apocalyptic setting, we are usually like usually they all take place like within the next at least in my experience, uh, so many of them take place within the next fifty years. A post-apocalyptic settings are almost always a very near future, and so as a result. You know any religious stuff that would be in that world, which there certainly would be, would all be very directly tied uh, tied into and spun off from everything religious, which is happening uh, in the moment, uh, and that creates uh, a couple of, uh, creates a couple of problems. Because one, you've got to do a lot of work to make sure that you're very familiar with everything going on religiously in the present. Then do a lot of work thinking about how that's you know how those parts are going to move around once the actual apocalypse happens, especially mm -hmm. when you have modern religious movements and ideologies that seem to be obsessed with the pending apocalypse. But then, and there is, I, I know many people do have a concern, you know, they don't want, they don't necessarily want to be found offensive to somebody who might practice or have strong feelings about an existing religion. But the other thing is, it could get really, really dated. You know, what, um, whatever... <laughs> You know, j just like you know, so many post-apocalyptic things, or uh, you know, take place after a full-scale nuclear war. 
Well, a lot of those things seem kind of dated because the notion that there would be a full-scale nuclear war now feels much more remote than it did in the 80s and in the 70s right. and the 50s. Uh, so wh whatever you put in based around current religious trends is going to seem very dated because the apocalypse isn't going to happen and those trends are going to change and take, take other forms. Will makes a good point. That's Again, that's how... Again, we've had offline conversations with uh, Scott and Mike about how, in the real apocalypse, you know what's going to happen with with religion. It's going to be based on what's currently around. But we'll we'll get into that, and uh, so it's harder. And you're right; it's harder for people to come up with that because again, it's so close to home. Whereas making things for fantasy, for D and D, for Call of Cthulhu, it's easy. You just make it up because nobody cares. It's not it's not you know that close to home for people. And it could be, because again, it's fantasy. You're living in, you know, another place, another time. So whatever you make is valid. It doesn't matter because that's a different place. It's not home. It's not here. It's not now. It's not what I'm living. Because post-apocalypse. Certainly, post-apocalypse uh, post is speculative fiction in that you, you speculate based on current realities what the situation is going to be. Um, yes. Whereas fantasy, you, it is, it, it's, it, the speculative aspect is almost speculation based on past history. You can reach into the past and find religions and find uh, uh, faith-based systems that existed and worked in the past and sort of, you know, extrapolate from them. I think of the the fantasy religions in Game of Thrones, you know, are all, you can you can smell the Zoroastrianism on some of those, uh, some of those religions. You can smell the Juridic, uh, you know, religion on, on some of those things, and it, it but it's not it's not based on current religion. It's mostly based on uh, our our past, at least in fantasy. You can but, smell the Cthulhu in in Game of Thrones too. Um, really? Because I haven't. Again, I'm I'm a season behind, so no spoilers, please. Wait, wait. Well, oh, time out. Flag on the play. What? No spoilers. Come on, Scott. We are all about spoilers. Well, for, for other people. <laughs> oh, okay. It's, it's, it's one thing when I tell you what happens at the end of the boy and his dog. It's a whole different thing when you tell me. What, what the what, butler did it? <laughs> or what happens at the red wedding. Because as far as I can tell, everyone gets married and lives happily ever after. And it's great, <laughs> and it's great to be a Stark. That's, that's the impression I have. No one ruined that. So... You go by the philosophy, which I love to quote, is, I don't practice what I preach because I'm not the kind of person I'm preaching to. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. Now that we've uh, cataloged my faults, let's get back to the religion. <laughs> oh, and, and, that, and, and actually that can be quoted from a, a religion. Actually, that is from religion, if you could call it that. That is actually a quote from the Church of the Subgenius, one of the many oh. wisdoms. one of the many wisdoms of Bob. So there you go. See, I tied, I tied it all in. Look at me go. Um, let's see. Uh, I wanted to throw out some exceptions um, to this in, because uh, to, to religion in post-apocalypse. Okay. Well, uh, but, right, go ahead. You first. All right. Related to uh, what we're talking about in gaming right now, or something. Um, in, in, in gaming. In gaming. Okay. All right. Continue because when you're done, then uh, Mike has something to add. I want to get him to uh, be able to say that as well. So. Okay. Um, now I don't know if we're also going to go into to literature or to movies at this point. I mean, let me. But I was yes. Saying, okay. Um, I was going to say that uh, in gaming, one of the first things that throws out in, that I would have thrown out is um, uh, in Gamma World, one of the oldest, maybe except for Metamorphosis Alpha, 
the oldest apocalyptic role-playing game, you do have uh, the cryptic societies, and you do have two very overtly religious cryptic societies. You had the uh, the radiationists, and, who were mutants who were spreading the radiation around so that everyone can share in the you know rebirth of life that comes with you know crazy 1950s fantasy radiation. Uh, and you had the archivists who were collecting all the goodies from the uh, from the previous civilization and venerating them as as uh, sacred objects like a cargo cult or something. So. Right there, we had a couple of religions right off the bat. I, you know, that I think were uh, yeah. fairly. Yeah, when it when it when it comes to religions and you know, game Gamrol's probably the closest because you know the cryptic alliances. You know, again, they're alliances, but they're very they're very cultish in their in their structure and behavior. To even some right, of them are even right down to the restorationists. You know, the ones you're supposedly trying to put civilization back the way it was, but you know, their efforts to to restore civilization include things like wearing the wearing the clothes of the past, whether it's valid or not. You know, dressing like you know, you know, uh, the, the beavers and the you know, the Cleaver family. You know, that somehow if they ate the past, they'll bring the past back. So you know, it wasn't just some sort of Isaac Asimov foundation. Uh, but I would say that there's that. And you're right. Uh, I don't remember anything from aftermath, and I own most of that. I don't remember. There wasn't Twilight 2000 didn't uh, take any pokes at religion that I remember, but um, certainly the folks that the, the folks uh, from uh, Black Owl Studios and Bethesda and everybody did Fallout, they definitely brought in religion. Oh yeah, quite a bit of religion in the Fallout games. I think that that really stands out, and it was kind of a surprise to me as a as a player how much religion they felt comfortable bringing in. Um, some of it was parodies, like the Church of Atom, A-T-O-M, uh, from, you know, the guys who are worshipping the old bomb, which is right out of Planet of the Apes, or beneath the Planet of the Apes, and uh, down to the Mormons, who are all over uh, Fallout New Vegas. I mean, they actually take a very interestingly respectful approach to the Church of Latter-day Saints, and... In, in, in Fallout New Vegas, having both villains and heroes who are, and fallen heroes, people who have, who have you know, become villains for a while and are struggling to redeem themselves, are all, you know, members of the Church of Latter-day Saints. Hmm. That is interesting. That's a, and I want to bring up another point about that, but I want to let Mike get his point in first, so. Well, I was just going to go back to uh, what we were discussing initially uh, about my perception that there is more religion in fantasy, why there would be more religion in fantasy than there is in, in science fiction. When I say science fiction, I include post-apocalyptic gaming and literature. And, and I think uh, part of the reason is that uh, creation myths and the presence of deities are so often integral to fantasy settings. Uh, you look at uh, Tolkien's Silmarillion, which is sort of the underpinning for everything he wrote, and it has got one of the, the best written creation uh, myth descriptions uh, that anybody's ever done in, in a work of fiction. Uh, it, and I recommend it to anyone. It's, it's really well done. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, so it occurs to, to people in fantasy games that deities or avatars of deities or uh, agents of deities 
can appear and can interact with characters and can guide characters. Uh, that doesn't happen in, in, in science fiction, uh, the science fiction genre, uh, to, to the same extent. Uh, and, and, and frankly, if you're looking at something like Dungeons and Dragons or any other you know, very uh, archetypical fantasy game, to go back to gaming, atheism uh, is not a rational reaction to that world. Uh, religion is real, the gods are real, magic is real, divine magic is real. Uh, there aren't going to be any atheists except people who are, who are schizophrenic, who are, are actually ignoring what's going on around them. Yeah, uh, being an atheist in, in our world, world to say, oh, I don't believe when I flip the switch that the lights come on. That's, that's the, the equivalent to, to not believing in the presence of deities uh, in a fantasy world. So that's, that's, that's a lot of it, I think, that the deities are, are, are not, are not faith-based in a fantasy world. Uh, the the deities are are actual are actually uh, there is no faith in a fantasy world. There is only an acknowledgement of the powers that be. Hmm. Rihanna, you were going to say something. Yeah, uh, in a fantasy world, the the equivalent of an atheist is someone who questions the gods' right to call themselves gods. Who says, "I don't understand why these beings uh, think they're any better than dragons," or I mean, they they. That's a good point. Exactly so. You can exactly say the gods so. are gods. Um, then that would, be, that would be an atheist in a fantasy setting. Sure, right. That's so, a good, good point. Uh, so, so, so a fantasy atheist just looks at a god and thinks, boy, that looks like a lot of experience points. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, 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 when can I achieve that level? Uh, now, sword here. Now, now, Scott, when you were saying before about, you know, the religion and, like, Fallout and how they base on... Now, a lot of times in uh, the gaming, uh, and I've seen it in literature, it... I think you just went mute, sir. Yeah. Okay, here, here, here I am! Here I am, everybody! But, um... But, uh, what I was saying was... In uh, gaming, I, uh, sometimes I think, and sometimes it, ha it happens in, we'll, we'll spin off into literature uh, after I make this comment here a little bit, because I want to talk a little bit about some fan some religion and some, and some of the uh, post-apocalyptic uh, literature that's out there, is uh, some, of it's, some of it's a little goofball. You know, like, uh, like our friend uh, Scott, our friend Aaron Vanek was talking about the LARP game that he has that... They have religion in it, and there's also, I think, a, a, a paper pencil game based off it. I think it's Dystopia Rising. Dystopia Rising, yes. Yeah, he um, says like, "Oh, I'm a uh, priest of Jimi Hendrix, and I play a record and this and that." You know, it's like that's all cutesy and all, because again, it's just gaming. But I don't really think, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about this more. I don't think it's that stuff like that would really happen because it, it's just it's too fantastic it's very it's very you know very fantasy very you know um whimsical it's whimsical thank you you know so i don't think that's real that you know that would be real stuff like that because that's the kind of stuff you sometimes tend to see in, in fantasy uh, not fantasy but like gaming types it's like oh i'm the you know we we worship you know the light bulb because it's so magical how it goes on you know it's it's not stuff that i don't think would really happen unless you have like you know 200 years of complete ignorance, and nobody's ever seen anything. All of a sudden, these people came out of a room. Oh, what is this? What is that fiery ball in the sky? You know, that's it's not going to happen. You know, so. Well, certainly, um, you know, uh, I, I, it, it, that when they do stuff like that, that's just usually, you know, it, it's just 
shorthand social satire. Yeah. Uh, making fun of things like the fame of, of rock stars that are treated like, you know, Correct. gods or whatever. Um, you know, uh, it's not, uh, you know, certainly, I don't think anyone who's writing, you know, sort of, uh, whoever it was that wrote the, the Road, or Eternity Road, which is one of the few post-apocalyptic novels set hundreds of years in the future, you know, there's nobody having the Church of Hendrix or, you know, uh, the, you know, uh, uh, the, the talking about the uh, the uh, uh, the Trinity being you know um, uh, Mama Cass and whoever the two guys who were I don't remember the name of the, the two other singers in that group but you know something like that it wouldn't be you know, uh, it wouldn't be anything like that uh, unless the author's just trying to sort of make a, a, a do some social satire uh, it doesn't really strike me as really serious speculative fiction yeah so speaking of, of literature. Um uh, uh, Eternity, Eternity Road. Did that? Ha I don't think I don't remember that having really having religion in that. I was uh, about to say Eternity Road, although it is one of my all-time uh, favorite. Uh, uh, post you're welcome. Yeah, and yes, which Mr. Wallace got to me. I don't remember religion turning up at all in an organized religion fashion. I can remember people like saying grace around the table, or you know, perhaps uh, there was some. There was a. I, I somehow remember. Some sort of ritual when they when they leave to go on the walk to follow the road. Uh, mm -hmm. there's, there's sort of a going away ceremony, which came off as a kind of a public event, sort of public, you know. And, and there may have been some calls to you know faith in that, but I don't remember religion being a huge, being any kind of a factor in the story as to uh, that society. But you can't have organized religion without organization. If you've got a complete uh, anarchy going on, any religion that you're going to see is going to be disorganized. It's going to be very personal, very spiritual, very uh, very uh, community-oriented. It'll, it'll be unique to each individual community um, because you cannot have organization without uh, a communication network. Yep. yep. Exactly so. Sure. Christianity spread uh, from the 4th century onward because the Romans built roads. That's pretty much what it boils down to. Yeah. Okay. Now, <clears throat> very, that's a very valid, very valid point uh, there. Literature. Okay, we talked about Eternity Road. Now, who else has uh, read a post-apocalyptic novel, uh, again, new or old, that um, does have a religion in it? It's something that's, uh, you know, is not is overwhelming, but something that, you know, is in there, and it's obviously, yeah, there's religion in this book. Uh, I, I uh, um, Go ahead, Brianna. Uh, the, the one that I'm most familiar with is actually Octavia Butler's Earthseed Religion. So she's got the parable of the sower and the parable of the talents. Um, and uh, it's, it's the, they're lovely books, and they're very literary. They're, they're science fiction, but they feel very literary um, and, um, and very organic in their storytelling style. They're very emotional books. Um, and it's, uh, the main character is a woman who um, uh, loses her, she was raised Baptist, and she loses that faith, but she goes on um, through the course of this story where she's walking north through California um, trying to get to a better, a better place because the world has gotten really hot and the government has slowly, it, it, it was a very slow apocalypse. There's still a, a ragged, jagged edge of, of government. Uh, Tending to 
and, and she's trying to get to a safer, better place to be. And as she's traveling north, she's writing these um, beautiful thoughts about the nature of God. And um, and she's inventing a, a new religion for, for, um, for a rationalistic and very, uh, I, I would call it very Unitarian um, perspective. And the, the main principle of it is that God has changed. There so is works. a uh, a Larry Niven short short story uh, called uh, "The Veil of Anarchy," which is I I consider it a, a post-apocalyptic story, but it's it's an apocalypse, a post-apocalypse, and like the return of society all take place in because of the circumstances of the story all take place within one night. And one of the things that happens, like immediately after the apocalypse, this sort of mini apocalypse that happens, uh, is that a, a, a religion kind of accidentally gets founded because these uh, these guys, th there's like one working water fountain, and it's the only source of potable water. Uh, and these guys, uh, these guys just take it over, and you can only get potable water if you get it through them. And one of the first things they do is they start calling themselves like the Divine Brotherhood of Cthulhu because it's not enough that they're tough guys and they can control this water supply. Within all the chaos that's going on, they, you know, because they, they know at some point someone stronger than them could come and take the water fountain from them. So they kind of in the moment concoct like a little mini religion with little mini superstitions to, to sort of create this idea in other people's minds that it is their divine right to hold all the potable water within this microcosm. Uh, any idea what the year on that was? Uh, when it was published, or or when it takes place? When it was published, when when Asimov was. You said Larry Niven. Excuse Larry, me. Larry Larry Niven. I think I think that it was the late seventies. Uh, I I will do some research on that during the next comment. Okay. Yes, again, because you know, only if we had these tools that we could access, that we could find out information. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, Mike, uh, any any particular post-apocalyptic books dealing with the religion yeah. that that uh, yeah. sticks out in your mind? I'm going to give you an answer that's, that's a little bit of a dodge in a way, but, but uh, I think it's legitimate. Uh, about two years ago, I wrote a novel called Swords of Coast Necropolis, which is unequivocally a fantasy novel. And since then, a number of people have written stories set in the same world, and that is what we're calling now the Swords of Coast Shared World uh, Fantasy uh, Fiction Project. And that's part of the Swords of Coast Fantasy Campaign setting. So this is a uh, rules, non-specific, universal fantasy campaign setting. That's what it is. It's not science fiction. It's fantasy. But the one of the defining features of this fantasy setting is that it takes place 100 years after the Great Cataclysm. It takes place 100 years after the eruption of the Thera volcano and the destruction of the known world. So it is, in fact both fantasy and post-apocalyptic at the same time. And the gods and the deities and the wars of the gods play a, a big role in this. Uh, there was a Greek author named Hesiod who wrote a book called Theogony, and he writes about the Titanomachy, the battle between the gods and the titans. And the Titanomachy is believed by many people in our Swords of Coast campaign setting to have been 
the event that caused the destruction of this island and the obliteration of society, and then its reformation. So, so this this uh, great cataclysm that took place a hundred years before the time of the campaign setting uh, affects everyone to one extent or another. There are people who reject the way the old world was because they say, okay, that's what led to this disaster, and they try to do things completely differently. There are people who dig through the ruins and try to find the old uh, sort of Renaissance-era technology. Uh, there are people who worship the gods because they say if we would have worshipped the gods more, uh, they wouldn't have lost in their war with the titans. There are people who say, well, the titans defeated the gods, we're going to worship them. So this is it has given us the opportunity. Will uh, is written for this setting, and he does all our maps and a lot of our art for us. Uh, I edit the novels, and I've written a couple of them myself. Uh, this is something where we've taken fantasy and the concept of the post-apocalypse, and we've combined them uh, into one. And in fact, religion is a very, very, very big part of it because many people interpret the apocalypse in in religious terms. So. In a sense, we've taken a sci-fi trope, the apocalypse, the post-apocalypse, and we've spun it into a fantasy milieu uh, and uh, uh, said, okay, what happens when you have a post-apocalyptic fantasy environment as a post-apocalyptic science fiction environment? And, and we've been having a lot of fun with it. We have a book called um, uh, Swords of Coast Hecaton, 11 authors contributed to it. They're all set during the year of the Hecaton, which is the 100-year celebration or uh, acknowledgement, commemoration of the great cataclysm that destroyed the world, uh, that the current world grew out of. Uh, and all dates are expressed in terms of after the cataclysm. Uh, so it is very post-apocalyptic and very fantasy at the same time. And because it's fantasy, we've um, uh, got a lot of religion incorporated into it. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, I, I found the reference, uh, the Larry Niven story, The Cloak of Anarchy, was originally published in 1972 in uh, Analog Magazine. Okay, it's later than I thought, but that's cool. Um, certainly, yeah, Scott, Niven, a book? certainly Niven uh, brought us, you know, uh, he and Jerry Pinnell brought us Lucifer's Hammer, and the yes. only time that religion shows up in that is, uh, um, the, uh, is, the, is the army of... Uh, you know the army of uh, of cannibals. Pente yeah, Pentecostal fundamentalists with uh, black power um, uh, looters and army deserters that all get together and wrap their their banditry and their cannibalism up into a giant cloak of religion that says that it's okay for them to do this because they've got a televangelist with them that is you know uh, off has thrown a rod and is now telling them that it's, oh, anything they do is okay because they're gods. Select. I mean, certainly that's the one post-apocalyptic religion thing that, that I immediately think of is Lucifer's Hammer. But we've also got Canical for Leibowitz. Uh, Thank you. I was going to bring. If nobody brought that up. I was going to bring that up. But I don't know that. I, having read Canical for Leibowitz, I do. What I don't remember about it was. Uh, I don't remember them pushing the religious aspects of the society very hard. I mean, it's definitely modeled on the, the, the this monasteries preserving technology is very much modeled on the monasteries preserving the literature and the knowledge and the medicine and whatever of the uh, in the Renaissance of the ancient world. But uh, I don't really remember uh, any 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 stuff in it about sort of the active way religion worked. Uh, in that yeah. world, but again, it's been 10, 15 years from, since I read it. 
The oh yeah. Last, the, go ahead. Sorry. I got one. No, no, go ahead. I was, just, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah. Okay. The last religion uh, in, a, in the Apocalypse book I can think of is actually by Orson Scott Card. Uh, and it was a collection of, of short stories and novellas. It wasn't really a novel, but it was called The Folk of the Fringe. And uh, it was, it, it felt like uh, Orson Scott Card was trying to write his version of the postman, of David Brin's postman, because the apocalypse felt very postman-like. I mean, it, it, it really had many of the, tr the tropes of David Brin's uh, postman thing. Yes, there had been some nukes. No, it wasn't the day after. Yes, society had continued to crumble, you know, in the face of, of ecological and, and military uh, human-made disasters. But Folk of the Fringe, the thing that really sort of stood out for me about this, and I'm hoping to get some commentary from the only officially uh, defrocked Mormon we have on the panel, um, is that yeah, yeah, that would be you. Um, uh, is that it, his post-apocalypse? His only civilization is Deseret. Is a resurrected Mormon Deseret out in Utah, which by the time the all the short stories and novellas conclude, is quote unquote the only European power left in North America. That the rest of the country is dissolved into uh, anarchy and you know, warlords who rule half a town, you know, a gas station, you know, that level of organization. And uh, the other side, of the, the only other side of the coin is some giant army of indigenous uh, uh, Amer American Indian and South American and Mexican Indian types, all led by a sort of man, living god, you know, presumed to be the reincarnation of Quetzalcoatl, who is uh, return to shove all the white people back into the sea. Um, and um, uh, I, I find it amusing that he thinks that, you know, the Mexicans and the Brazilians and the Peruvians will toss their Catholicism off at the first possible opportunity. Absolutely. And, and go right back to Quetzalcoatl, you know. Which, yeah. yeah, that doesn't come off as even a little bit racist. Not at all. <laughs> um... But more importantly, the book comes off as incredibly bigoted as just this Mormon polemic about, you know, the rest of us uh, uh, Gentiles and our inability to um, work together or share resources or be organized. Um, it's a little, it's a little uncomfortable to read. It's a, it's a little uncomfortable to read. And, as far um, as I can tell, it's a lot more fair to judge Mormonism of by Brandon Sanderson than by Orson Scott Card. Okay. <laughs> who's uh, Brian? Who's Brian, Brandon Sanderson? Oh, he's the guy. He did. He did a Miss the Miss Four novels, and he also um, is the guy that they hired to finish the Wheel of Time series when Robert Jordan died. Okay. And he's uh, he's oh. an, he's another he's LDS. Right, I've with him at a con. He's a fine man. He's, he's Gentlemen, and and insane, and um, not. Yeah, I would say, I would say these are these are not problems. These are not problems with the Mormon. Sorry, I was going to say these are not problems with the Mormon Church. These are problems with Orson Scott Card. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, that that was my experience. I mean, you know, I I had I had enough problems uh, with the Mormon Church that I wanted to leave it. 
but I I don't find them to be vile people. Um, just not a good fit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but those okay. are the only ones I can think of that uh, jump out. I mean, uh, chemical Valise is a little bit of it. But really, the folk of the fringe is one where religion became central to the post-apocalyptic story and the recreation of civilization. Hmm. That's the only one I can think of. Yeah. I don't have anything uh, too deep. I would have brought up Canatel for Leibowitz. Um, I know in uh, one book uh, by Sterling Lancer, the... Uh, Hero's Journey. The character is is a priest. It's a great book. It's a fan. It's a oh, It's a great book. And the sequel, The Unforsaken Hero. Uh, I read it Thirty years ago. Uh, I pretty close to that myself. Uh, back in the eighties, uh, the character was a, a priest and a telepath. But it, you know, and he was based, you know, on, you know, in a religion, a, a very organized religious organization after the apocalypse. But um, from what I remember, Mike, I don't think they really played on it hugely after that. Like, they kind of introduced it, if I remember correctly. I remember that. And that, but that's something. The fact that you would actually have that level of organization. Establishing that it exists uh, and talking and beating it to death uh, are two completely different things. They did yeah. establish that it exists. Yeah, exactly. So they did. They did mention it in there, and also I did. I did find uh, actually quite a bit uh, through this through the series. We talked about the uh, Deathland series by James uh, Axler. Uh, religion uh, does come up quite a bit in these books. There's a lot of them are just kind of cults and things and things like that. Like especially in, in this book, and I had kind of read off the Scott last week and read Holocaust. There was an org There was a cult. Uh, based off an old burnt down church and like the crucifix with Christ on it was burnt down and they created this whole uh, religion around that uh, kind of like how in the Planet of the Apes and uh, Will have actually posted that on the um, the event page for the uh, the planet beneath the Planet of the Apes the whole uh, the, the whole hymn I believe but they again in this book they're like this religious fanatics you know like they have their hymns is you know blessed are the nukes uh, and blessed shall be fa the fallout. Blessed is the punishment of the Dark Lord, because again, the 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 Jesus on the crucifix was burnt, so it was black, so he became the Dark Lord. You know, and it goes into this whole thing about blessed is you know the long chill and the many rads, and it goes on and on and on. It's all based on you know the nuclear war and the and the nuclear winter. Again, it doesn't predominate you know take over the book, but it has a little aspect in it. And there's been plenty of times there's been druids. You know, because they went to England, so uh, religion does pop up quite a bit in the Deathland series. And it's usually never a help. I mean, it's oh no, it's, it's never a help. But they never um, show up, and it's like a soup kitchen, you know, with an outreach program. It's usually like <laughs> oh no, that, that's that's the latest one. You didn't read that one, but okay. um, you know, Deathlands, you know, uh, you know, soup holocaust. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> but uh, Will had if mentioned if there's a soup kitchen, it's because they're cannibals. Yes. That's, that's, uh, but speaking of the Deathlands, and then we're going we're moving on. Is uh, uh, Will had mentioned to me that he has the latest issue of was it uh, Film Facts? Uh, Film Facts, the half out, the uh, six ounce ton of intelligent fun, the magazine of unusual film, television, and retro pop culture. Uh, they've actually got a pretty extensive interview uh, with uh, sci-fi and fantasy illustrator uh, Michael Herring who illustrated the majority of the Deathlands covers, and also, I believe, at least half of the Deathlands uh, spin-off series, Outlanders. Uh, 
and he do, he does actually spend a good amount of time at the beginning of the interview talking about Deathlands and uh, and uh, dropping some interesting tidbits about Axler himself that uh, fans of the series will probably be uh, interested to hear. But I just I just wanted to bring it up. It's a it's a good magazine, a very good article. Yeah, so it's a very interesting that ties into that. And then uh, one more thing I'd read, uh, not really uh, religion based, but post apocalyptic. Um, apparently, there's a book. A post-apocalyptic book by um, uh, Margaret Sinclair, uh, "Sign of the," uh, what is the name of that? Uh, "Sign of the Labras," L-A-B-R-Y-S. I'm terrible with names. Apparently, that's a, it's a post-apocalyptic novel. Apparently, there's some kind of yeast apocalypse, something weird. It was written in the 1960s. A yeast apocalypse? Yeah, that's what I read about it. But the interesting part about it is it ties back into gaming. Is apparently the theory is that that book introduced the idea of levels, like levels of a dungeon to Dungeons and Dragons, because apparently, you know, it might have been influenced because the way it talks about levels of the of the of the of the of the bunker that they live in and the way they describe it is very reminiscent apparently of the beginnings of levels and how they were in dungeons, how that's how they started calling them levels because in the book they called them the levels. Is so that people that have made Margaret some... St. Clair? Yeah. Margaret St. Clair A.K.A. Idris Seabright? Uh, not sure. Uh, apparently, she's a well uh, well-known novelist. It's again so the sign of the L A B R Y S uh, Labras, I believe it is. Again, terrible with names. So Labras, yeah, L A B R I Y S. That's a uh, uh, the uh, axe from the labyrinth. That's where we get the word labyrinth. Yes, from. yes. So that, that apparently is a post-apocalyptic novel that where they believe that the whole level concept of uh, you know uh, in Dungeons and Dragons came. Just an interesting little tidbit that not related to religion, but was related to gaming and the apocalypse. So anyway, all right. So um, well, and it is actually related to religion. There's I, I took a whole class in my theology degree about the labyrinth. So there you go. Well, Campbell talked a lot about that, didn't he? There you go. So, uh, see, you know, see, I always tie it all in, but uh, whether I knew it or not. <laughs> somebody ties it all in. Somebody does. Somebody does. Well, but I'll take credit for it. But, uh, no. <laughs> so, moving on? Yes, moving on, because uh, we're hitting top of the hour, so I want to try to keep it, I don't, you know, just for a little bit longer. So, we're not going to talk as much. About this as, as we would that I would have liked, well, but the, the last thing I want to throw in is uh, movies. We we have a, the only yes. movie I can think of is the is the classic Beneath the Planet of the Apes, where they've got their parody religion, where they've got the the mutants worshiping an a bomb. Does anybody right. else have any other movie uh, apocalypse where they can remember any religion showing up at all? Oh, Actually, in the other Planet of the Apes movies, uh, they have that ape statue and they worship him as oh, the first the ape. You might remember yeah. that. Uh, the the lawgiver is very the, the, the greatest ape. Right. Oh, the lawgiver. Actually, I, I had one that I really wanted to talk about. As cheesy as it is, it actually really works. There's a there's a classic Roger Corman movie from the 1950s called uh, Teenage Caveman. It stars oh, a young yeah. Robert Vaughn. Oh, my God. And also Frank DeCora from F Troop, if you like F Troop. Oh, uh, and 
the big reveal at the end of the movie is that it's not about cavemen, it's about people who have survived a nuclear apocalypse and they've been living in a wasteland. And those aren't dinosaurs, those are mutants. But um, yeah. there's a lot of religious stuff that's that's brought up at, uh, very early in the movie where there are these three elders and, and each elder, like, each elder, like, keeps one of the three great gifts of man and the first is the first is fire and then the second one there's this man who just turns a wheel uh and no one knows what the wheel is just that it has to keep turning but you realize that 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 wheel is the wheel of industry that wheel is the wheel that kept Ah. the apocalyptic civilization going and then the final keeper, like every day, he just builds stuff with blocks and then knocks it down. And like that's the third gift of man is the power to create and destroy. And that's kind of a neat undercurrent. But one of the other things is the caveman society has this elaborate series of taboos. There's a land where you must never go. And of course it's because it's contaminated by radiation, but they don't know that. But they also make multiple references to the the god that brings death with its touch and it's they believe it's a god of punishment and whenever they see it it's like this bulky chitinous thing but then at the end of the movie you find out it's not actually a god uh it is a human from who survived the original atomic war and that's his survival suit but he can't come out the suit has been keeping him alive for 200 years but he can't come out of it because the moment he does the contaminated atmosphere will kill him but um, because he is so dosed with radiation in this suit any time he has ever tried to interact with another human being it's inevitably killed him through radiation poisoning and it, though all those little elements create a, a create a surprising amount of world building in this cheesy B science fiction flick but I've, yeah. I've always liked the way it did that mm, that's very interesting I, I just got he just reminded me of the old man in the cave yes Twilight Zone yeah the old man in the cave where it's uh, the computer that they have sort of a, uh, a voice of God kind of relationship with I guess um, uh, but it's uh, but certainly it's not as it's not as elaborate as intricate as that that I've I've never seen the original, uh, you know. I was a teenage caveman, and I've never seen the the remake that uh, some of the Arkoff people put together. Along, I mean, I've seen Sea Creature, and they made a, They they recently, like in the '90s, made a bunch of those uh, Corman films again. Earth versus the Spider. I was a I was a teenage caveman. Sea Creature. Uh, I never got around to I was a teenage caveman, but I I I have seen bits of it, and every time I saw it, it was like. There is something more going on here than a cheesy Corman film, and it, it always strikes me that the only thing that really limits that story was their budget. Yeah, and if you don't want to just sit through the original Corman flick, there is a Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode that does Teenage <laughs> Caveman. It's very entertaining. <laughs> now, I, I would throw something something out there, going back to literature and tying it into to movies real quick. Uh, speaking of religion, speaking of the apocalypse, uh, in the Bible... In the book of Genesis, in the very first book of the Bible, there is, in fact, a post-apocalyptic scene. Uh, Literally, a post-apocalyptic scene. Uh, Following the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his daughters seal themselves in a cave, and they believe that they are the only people uh, who have survived the apocalypse. This is in the Bible. Anybody can read it. Uh, yeah, and it goes very some, badly. Some sleazy motel. You can you can get your Gideon Bible uh, yeah. and read it. Um, it goes very badly, doesn't it? I mean, oh, that's that? well, yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah. 
Well, Gideon I just Bible. Say we'll that, say that, that is a post-apocalyptic scene because they actually believe uh, that they're the last people on Earth, and they set about to repopulate the Earth by uh, the daughters seducing uh, their father, getting him drunk and seducing him. It's in the Bible, uh, and that ties into the theme of post-apocalyptic movies and biblical movies because it's never been put into a movie before. Every 10 years, there is a, uh, the Bible as you've never seen it before. And it's always the Bible as you've always seen it before because they will not touch that scene. Uh, so if you want to read the first apocalyptic scene ever written in by literature, ever written in literature, read the book of Genesis, Lot and his daughters. And if you ever want to read about a scene that's never been put in a movie and never will be, uh, read that scene as well. Yeah, you mean, you, mean, you, mean, you mean Chuck Heston didn't uh, do that scene? No. <laughs> No, you couldn't get Chuck to do that. No. No. But um, well, speaking of movies, I actually I want to bring this up because you talked about Gideon Bible. And here, here I'm gonna, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna pause this here for a second. I'm making a judgment call here, okay? Because we've had a lot to talk about just from games and literature and the apocalypse. I know exactly. So. And and I were and I really want to talk about the apocalypse, you know, potential real life apocalypse, but. I don't want to drag us out for two hours, okay? So what I'm suggesting is that in two weeks from now, we meet again, and we do Religion in the Apocalypse Part 2, and then we talk about and dedicate the show to talking about Religion in the Apocalypse in the potential real life. Uh, how does everybody feel about that? I could do it. Okay, that looked like a thumbs up all the way around the table. Yeah, so that way we can, we can spend a few more minutes talking about maybe literature and movies and stuff like that, and then we'll take it part two to, you know, hey, what can it really be? Because we can spend a whole hour, hour and a half, two hours just on that alone. So let's, we're going we're gonna to break the show up. The, the, this will be the first two-parter for Podcast at Ground Zero. Yay! We're making Yay. history. First time we had a girl on, first time we have a two-parter. It's, it's it's a list of firsts here. It's oh, it's incredible. So let's talk about I want to talk about we're talking about religion and movies. We uh, I tried to track it down on Netflix because I've never seen it and well, it wasn't available of course because it's not available in streaming. Is the wonderful film which I've heard because I've never seen it is the Book of Eli. I I have seen it. Has anybody else seen the Book of Eli? Unfortunately, no. Okay. It's a, it's a great movie on, on a lot of levels. Philosophically, I disagree with what they, they, they're trying to say, but it's a great movie. Well, Mike, what do you think they're trying to say in the Book of Eli? Well, okay, uh, I, think, I feel like you're setting me up. No, no. Spoiler alert here. Basically, the, the yeah. villain who is... Um, crap, now I'm... Gary Oldman. Game. Huh? Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. I, I, lo I, lo I love Gary Oldman. I think I'll form my own religion just about Gary Oldman. Well, but, uh, I mean, he's the villain, and, and Denzel Washington is the, is the uh, hero. And basically the idea is the villain wants to burn all the Bibles because, darn it, if people read the Bibles, uh, tyrants and right-wingers will never be able to gain power over other people. Uh, but of course it's a farce, uh, because in the post-apocalypse, it's the heroes who will be burning the Bibles, because they'll say, oh my god, we've got to get rid of these things, because if any, any 
uh, uh, fascist uh, a demagogue gets hold of one of these, he's just going to get control of everybody because we know that's what happened in the past, and we well, know that's what destroyed the world. I would, uh, so basically, I would, I would uh, they, they take the whole idea of the possibilities of, of what would happen, and they invert them. Good movie, great acting, terrific post-apocalyptic scenery, um, but but the whole idea of what they're doing is is sort of morally and 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 ethically inverted. I would say. Well, I would I would correct you, Mike, because my recollection of the film is not that Old wants to destroy the Bible, but he wants to have the Bible so he can tell everyone what's in it and control it. Uh, he will control the Bible. You know, that he will be, okay, able to okay, be the guy who okay. is going to get to... He never gets it, so we don't know what he does. But good point. Oh, uh, no, he, he does get right the up. Bible. He does get sure. the Bible. It just turns Boy, out to be... <laughs> <laughs> the only gag The only gag in the movie I like, it's like, it's like Burgess Meredith breaking his glasses. Major spoiler alert coming up, folks. <laughs> At the end of that Twilight Zone episode, don't tell me about Game of Thrones. Um... <laughs> He My favorite the, part of the Black Death in Europe, and, mm -hmm. um, and it's gorgeous, and it's deep, and meaningful, and, and bizarre, um, with, uh, with death, and it's, it's remarkably historically accurate to the, uh, religious outlooks of the period. That if you want to know about religion in the post-apocalypse, um, the Seventh Seal gives you a huge insight into what was going on during during that period of European history. Well, one and, thing and, I, and I, you, you make a, a you make a good point because we often talk about the apocalypse and the post-apocalypse as if it's some notional thing that might happen or has never happened before. But you make an excellent point. Apocalypses uh, happen throughout history. Uh, it's not a notional thing. These things do happen, and we can look back at when they've happened before and see how people have reacted to them. Yeah, um, uh, that is that's a good point. That that, and I, I know I was running this up and down with uh, with Rhea before about the idea that the medieval Black Death is the closest thing we can get to a a what would have looked like a global apocalypse because it's not just beating up on Christendom, it's beating up on the Muslims just down the road, it beat up on the Mongols, it beat up on the Chinese, you know, everybody got a dose of this apocalypse, it was this rolling apocalypse across the whole world, and it must have looked like the end of everything to, to somebody living in that Especially technological in Europe, in, in Europe uh, the, the hygiene was so bad um, that, that it hit Europe a lot harder. Well, the Europeans had figured out that cats were tools of the devil, so the first thing you do is get rid of all the cats. I'm sure that'll have no effect on the rat population in urban areas. There also, were, it, it's, it's remarkable the number of things that people did wrong um, in spreading the black death in Europe. It's, it's amazing. Hey, bathing spreads disease, and if you bring your bucket up from a well and there's newts in that water, that means that's good life-sustaining water. <laughs> Delicious water, but ba uh, back to we were talking about the book of um, book of Eli. Now you were saying they were looking to try to find a Bible because apparently the one that Denzel Washington had was what the only Bible that was around or something. Yeah. Is that no, am I correct in that? Spoiler alert! Yeah, no, we can't, we can't tell you. 
I can, we but, can't answer it's, this it's the only Bible. It's the only The Book Bible. of Eli was a sled. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's my understanding that it was the only Bible, but but yeah. when you when you brought up the you know, the hotels and the Gideon Bible, I'm like I can't pop I can't possibly see that being the only Bible unless everybody right. burned every book for firewood because right, right, right. isn't that one of the what isn't the Bible the most Printed book ever and constantly ever. There are so yeah, many of them yeah, out there. Johnny How can you go? A, a Johnny Appleseed of Bible burning uh, to be able to get rid of all of them exactly. Well, no, they, they just the Soviets said uh, that just the Soviets had trained all their ICBMs on our hotels. Oh, okay. Um, well, it's not even it's not even just the hotels. Besides the hotels and the churches and the privately owned, there's got to be there's got to be more Bibles and people on this planet out there. So I can't. So I can't see, I can't, I can't see that they're like, oh, this is the only one left. How do you, how can there not be more out there? And like, again, unless they burned everything indiscriminately, like every book, because we need to burn for firewood. Yeah, because no, that's, that's an unbelievable element of the movie. I mean, that, yes. that's where, that's where basically they said we're going to suspend reality a bit for purposes of telling this particular story. Yeah, but there, there's there's some there's some suspensions of reality I could go with, and some I can't. That's that's one I can't. That is, that is uh, a bit extreme. You're right, Jared. This, people in this country, people in this country will burn their copies of the Constitution and their copy of the SAS Survival Guide and their you know and and their you know guide to poisonous plants before they burn their Bibles. <laughs> You mean you mean you mean they burned uh, the classic Tom Brown's uh, uh, you know gu uh, guide to wilderness survival? Yes, yes, yeah. they would. They oh, it's terrible. Their diaries of their Bible. Oh God, which goes next? <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that was that 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 was when I heard about it. That was the most uh, that was the most unbelievable aspect uh, of of that movie that I understood that that's the only copy. Well, that wasn't, wasn't there a whole joke about how it's like apparently he also had the only pair of sunglasses left in, in, the, in the world, too? No, there no, some... no, what's really amazing is everybody's got a pair of earbuds. And who's the chick in, in the, the movie, uh, uh, Scott? It's what's-her-name who does the voice, it does one of the voices of the, does the voice of the dog uh, family guy. Mila Kunis? Yeah, it's Kunis. Look, I just got to tell you, the final scene of the movie and this isn't a spoiler because it's it's a meaningless scene. She's walking through the post-apocalyptic wasteland with her earbuds on. Well, let me tell you, your survi your survivability goes down to nil when you walk through the post-apocalyptic wasteland with your with your earbuds in. That's that's just the way it is. Are you uh, sure so about that? Jerry. Like that nice. What the hell? Yeah. What are they trying oh. to say? Why are they doing well, this? Well, you're, well, well, saying you're, you're uh, about about the, the last pair of glasses. No, those honestly could be the last pair of glasses because remember, after after the bombs drop, everybody's glasses keep accidentally falling off their face and breaking. Yeah, yeah, we've learned that from Burgess <laughs> Meredith. That's true. The thing is, it's not that he had the last pair of glasses; he had the last glasses strap. Oh. <laughs> Or was that it, or, or was it that the or, or or maybe it had it backwards? Maybe it was a pair, or did everybody have sunglasses in this, or something like? There was something about the sunglasses. Like people are like, apparently in the apocalypse, you know, there were all the sunglasses were not destroyed because 
you couldn't swing a cat without finding a pair of everybody wearing sunglasses or something well, what stupid are you, like that. What are you gonna loot when you, you're gonna you're gonna grab a TV and if there's a sunglasses, that's an impulse loot and you just take the sunglasses. <laughs> so it's like an impulse buy. Let me yeah. let me tell let me let me tell you what I'm gonna loot in the apocalypse, okay? Because when the apocalypse happens, I hope that it happens when I'm at work because at work we have two very large first aid kits mounted on the wall which covers everything from painkillers to bandages and blood it is a fully stocked there's two of them I have an extra I have a couple extra bags in my office and the first thing I'm doing is I'm taking every goddamn thing out of those two wall mounted first aid kits and I'm bringing them with me because we're gonna need those supplies that's all I know I gotta ask how big they are. I'm presuming they're bigger than lunchboxes. Is it brief? No, size? they are like three feet tall, <laughs> two two foot wide, this deep. I mean, full stocked wall mounted medicine guy, like first aid uh, cabinets. Wow. We got we got wow. two of them. Okay. Two of them. When I first started, we first started working in that office about four years ago. I was like, again, you know, Jared, when he first goes someplace, well, how do I get out of here? What's going to go when the zombies come? And I'm like, oh, look at all that, look at all that fur, look at those first aid kits. Yeah, that's going in my backpack as soon as I'm walking out the door. So, <laughs> um, I can't nothing, of, nothing, nothing to do with religion, but <laughs> I, I can't think of any other um, uh, uh, besides Book of Eli, which is which is overtly religious. Or faith-based, anyways, um, as a as a uh, as a as a post-apocalyptic film, I really can't think of any other, you know, religious except you know except wait a minute, what about the um, what about Anthony Zerbe's hooded cultists in Omega Man? Right, in the Omega Man. Don't they have a religion to destroy the work? The all the well, they science look like classic cultists, so they must. Yeah, yeah, they got hoods. Well, they're they're trying to they're just trying to destroy the technology because the technology right. is what brought is a brought it brought the disease. Luddites, yeah. Essentially. Yeah, but they are they are organized luddites with a you know fanatical devotion. So it's you know does that make a religion? I don't know. I, uh, it's a uh, and, and yeah. well 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 the well the cult leader is Brother Matthias. You know the Today's former the for, the for, the former newscaster. You know exactly. Today's weird, pointless cult is tomorrow's world religion. That's just, that's just, uh, yeah. the way the trend tends to go. Thank you, Scientology. <laughs> so or anything else for that matter. Yeah. So um, so yeah. So again, we've covered a lot of stuff, and I'm going to wrap this up here because I want to you know try to keep it under keep it under an hour and a half. So uh, what we're going to, again, folks, again, we didn't get to the second part of what we wanted to talk about, but again, we covered a lot. We covered a lot of stuff in this first half. So again, two weeks from now, uh, the next show, the 17th show, we're doing uh, Religions in the Apocalypse Part 2, and what we're going to talk about is more real life. Uh, we touched on it a little bit here, but w that's, that's what the topic of the discussion will be is what's going to really happen with religion in the apocalypse, yeah. you know, you know, what kind of crazy ass, you know, uh, Elvis wor worshiping cultists are we going to have out there when the world ends, or is it all going to be just, you know, standard fare and we're all still going to church, yeah. you know? So that's that's what we really uh, we're going to kind of talk about for the next show again in two weeks from now, show seventeen. So we're gonna we're gonna wrap up this show. So we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do some final words uh, this time, and I'm gonna start with uh, Will. Final thoughts. Uh, just to say that uh, you know, from uh, both the perspective of writing fiction, but also game design, 
the post-apocalypse gives you such license to just go nuts and, and, and create fun, interesting, satirical religions. I, I hardly recommend that. There is a uh, post-apocalyptic setting I've used uh, in my tabletop role-playing for, for ages, and one of the premises is, uh, is uh, in the southern area of America, there's a post-apocalyptic civilization slash cult called The Kingdom. <laughs> And the whole the whole premise of it is that all everyone in the civilization are descended from people who were trapped inside Disney World no! when the bombs came down. Nice. And oh, no. they worship and they worship the Creator and what they who who is who will one day return to us. And you know they always seek what they call the blood of the prophet. Uh, and what it actually is is the Creator <laughs> is actually the cryogenically frozen corpse of Walt Disney that they worship. In like it's like up on a it's like this frozen thing up where like the crucifix would be or the rood would be, and the the blood of the prophet which sustains him is actually the liquid oxygen that keeps his cryogenic refrigeration system working. So they're always raiding for liquid oxygen, and just that all that craziness has spun so many adventures and plot lines uh, for me and the groups that I've run it for. I, I love that the the apocalypse lets me do that. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I, I I love that. <laughs> Copyright me. All right. So thank you, Will Scott. Final um, thoughts. I guess the only things I wanted to add was that um, uh, when it comes to uh, the post-apocalypse, you know, we'll get hit it on the on the head because there is a certainly in this type of literature there is a uh, a motive to go nuts, to go crazy, to to have you know again like you said the. Uh, the the uh, Church of uh, Elvis or something or one of the things in Fallout is that they threw out was the there's the Church of the Abbey of the Road is mentioned in Point Lookout now they don't give into any details and everything that you hear from the one missionary from the church comes off as very standard Christian fare but I always thought hmm the Church of the Abbey of the Road do they have you know liturgical things like sun you're gonna have to carry that weight. I mean, is it does it all turn into Beatles lyrics or something? And it's a instead of a Trinity, it's a Quadrinity, you know. And suddenly Yoko takes on the role of Judas Iscariot or something. Or, you know, sure you can make those jokes, and it's kind of fun and easy to do. But uh, it is a lot to you know. To, but to do something uh, you know rational and realistic with a, with religion as opposed to apocalypse, um, that's always to me it's more interesting. Uh, and it's you know, um, uh, and it, it it requires a, a a higher level of, of, you know, uh, of study uh, and historical grounding to get. You can find super weird stuff. You can find super strange examples from history, which I think we're gonna deluge you with next week. When we talk about what would it really be like because there, are, in, you know, again, you scratch history and it bleeds weird, and there are all kinds of weird religious examples of what happens when you stress a society to the breaking point and beyond. Um, that's That would be the only thing I'd have, and so t stay, stay tuned for next week, or okay. next two weeks from now. Cool. And uh, moving down the line, uh, Rihanna? I, I would say uh, if you're interested in writing um, realistic uh, fictional religions or, um, or, or putting them into games, um, We'll go into this a lot more next time, but the number one thing is death. Um, you want you want everything to be about death. 
if you're trying to write something realistic for a post-apocalyptic world. Well, you, that, you're, you're absolutely right that all religions are about our Yeah, he broke uh, up a little bit there. We, 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 we didn't get most of what Scott's. Robo-Scott. But yeah, that, that would be, I mean, you know, obviously we'll go into it more next time, but that would be the, the number one thing uh for me, is it would be it would be all about death to be realistic. No, uh, that's very, 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 very good point. You know, death and taxes, right? But uh, <laughs> so, uh, Mike, final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts are: uh, Will and I both devote a big part of our life to developing gaming stuff. So I would heartily encourage people to check out his uh, uh, random cult generator. Uh, it's a pay-what-you-want product, so if you're a douche, you can buy it for a penny, uh, and if you're, you know, cool, you can spring uh, for a full buck or whatever. Uh, and check out our Swords of Coast stuff. Uh, we've got uh, our Skirmisher Publishing LLC winter sale going on right now, and everything's marked way down, so you can get just about everything for almost 50% off. Uh, it's a great time to check out all the things that we're doing, and um, uh, just... Uh, get a sense for some of what we've been talking about tonight. Oh, very good. Cool. You know, I'm going to be only a partial dick, and I'll pay, like, you know, five cents for it. You know, I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm going to up that ante and not do it for a penny. But... A uh, word and a half of the original text. <laughs> Yay! If someone pays a penny and they give it a five-star rating, then then they get a pass on... Uh, they, 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 they get... Uh, um, uh, forgiven for their their uh, douchiness. Nice. So we uh, we lost Mr. Glance here. Apparently we were boring him to death, so he dropped off. Uh, probably a little bit of internet connection, but uh, I don't really have any final thoughts. But again, like I said, this is a great discussion. Thank you everybody uh, for joining uh, to uh, this week Thanks again. For th us. No, thank you, thank you. always thank you for joining. Uh, you know. Because you know, as people know, uh, you know, uh, Will and Mike uh, join us uh, frequently, and I've joined uh, their show frequently as well. Because again, we're a community, you know, and we do definitely uh, have a lot of camaraderie and share a lot. So, and there we, uh, yeah, a lot of crossover. You know, you know, you guys always bring a lot to the table, and I hope I bring a lot to the table when I'm on on your show as well. So, um, so yeah. So again, thank you everybody for that. Looks like Scott's back. Again, thanks for everybody. And I said thank you for being uh, you know uh, available again for two weeks. So let's do like a part two because again, it's religion's a very big topic, you know. So you know, I, I don't know what I was thinking that. Oh yeah, we'll blow through all this and a little no, you know, because we because we because we really we really were going a lot, had a lot of good dialogue going on, a lot of good conversation. So uh, we're going to do part uh, you know part two uh, two weeks from now. Um, the only thing else I would have to add to, to tell people is in the words, uh, again, let's see if anybody gets this, uh, in the words of Torquemada, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, Nemesis the Warlock comic from 2000 AD, uh, be pure, be vigilant, behave. So, again, thank you, everybody. Good night. We will see you in two weeks for Podcast Act Round Zero, Episode 16, Religion in the Apocalypse, Part two, electric boogaloo. Ah, I got it in. All right. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Thank you. Good night.